Well, good morning again. If you would, open to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 is where you will find our text this morning. And we are um, going verse by verse through Colossians. That's typically how we uh, teach here. Um, We go through whole passages or whole sections or books of the Bible um, at a time and try to see uh, what the Word of God says. Um, this morning, we're continuing our theme that, um, that, that Paul is talking about as he writes to the church at Colossae, a church that uh, started well. Paul did not found, but uh, somebody who he shared the gospel with and trained started the church there in Colossae. And as it began to grow, it also began to have some false teachers that came through that were uh, convincing the believers there to uh, redefine how they thought of Christ, of, of who they had thought that Jesus was. And so Paul writes, we'll see in our text today, um, still on this theme that we began last week of how to continue in Christ, but specifically today he's going to give this analogy that I want to kind of park on and, and use to frame, and that is of walking in Christ. What does it mean? What does it look like us look like for us to walk in Christ? And uh, let, me, let me begin by illustrating um, kind of what it means to, to walk in Christ, this concept, um, in a way that, that we can probably all understand. And um, I, let, me, let me take you back my, my own personal life, and this isn't, this isn't about walking in Christ, but it's an illustration to get there, so don't, don't confuse the two because <laughs> I'm changing gears here. I'm going to make it obvious so that nobody's like, huh? Um, in, in August of 2001, I was beginning my third year in Bible college, and I signed up for, um, I think it was American History and Civics, and, uh, and I walked in the class, and I sat down next to someone who I knew, um, I had known for, for a year or so, just kind of in passing, and her name was Krista, and she turned and she looked at me. And with big eyes, she asked me about life's ultimate questions. No, really, she asked me about the book, Did I Have Life's Ultimate Question? Because she didn't want to buy it, but she needed it for another class. And so, so she said, do you have life's ultimate question? And I said, no, I haven't taken that class. I don't have the book. But let's see if we can find somebody that does. And so we left that civics class, and we walked around the campus the whole day, um, and I kept just leading her on, well, maybe he has it, you know, just to, to keep spending time with her. And, and, and really, it was, it was kind of one of those, uh, those moments in your life. You know, I had known Krista, um, and, uh, you know, I, I knew her. We were friends, but never, you know, would have thought that that's who the Lord had for me to marry until she asked me about life's ultimate questions. Um, but, you know, and, and so we, we were, we, <laughs> I, I was a horrible dater, okay? The first time that, that we were to get together, I went to her and I said, look, I am, I, I want to pursue you as a wife. I don't just want to com- just date you, right? Like, like, here's my cards, okay? This is what I got. Um, and, and you might think, oh, that's so romantic, but really I was just cheap. I'm like, I don't want to spend money and time just to play around and date. So, um, so I told her that, and, and she said, she, she kind of looked and said, okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, we, were, 
we were, that was, so that was August. We were engaged, was it February? We were engaged, and we were married in July. Um, and then we had Kyla nine months later. I mean, it, and uh, here we are, uh, 16, going on 16 years um, this year. And it started just kind of from that random euphoric moment where she asked me about life's ultimate questions. Um, but we, we like to hear stories like this. We like to hear love stories and how someone fell in love and, and, and that moment when you knew, right? Um, a lot of times our, our relationship with Jesus is kind of like that also. We have this moment, you know, where we, where we fall in love with Jesus. Um, falling in love is, is often kind of easy. Um, the question is, how do you stay in love? How do you sustain that love over a long period of time? How do you continue to walk in it day by day, year after year? I've performed a number of weddings, and I've never, ever performed a wedding where I didn't think that the couple absolutely loved each other. I've also counseled a lot of individuals that are married, and at one time they loved each other, and now they just despise each other. You know, so how do we maintain that? How do we continue in that relationship? How do we day by day uh, do that. And like, like I said, becoming a Christian is kind of a lot like falling in love. You meet Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, and we feel like that lame man at the temple in Acts chapter 6 that, that, that Peter heals through the power of Jesus Christ. And, and so we are, we are that broken mess, and we're healed by Jesus, and we jump, and we shout, and we tell everybody, and we're full of joy that Jesus has saved us, right? That's, that's early our Christian walk, right? We've experienced that, his love, and, and man, it feels so good. And then, and then life comes, and trials come, disappointment comes. Maybe you suffer health issues, maybe relationship issues, Maybe problems within your children, things that, that you thought were a sure plan didn't turn out. How do we continue that, that love for Christ through our daily walk, through life? Because it can be difficult sometimes, right? Yeah, I want to tell you, as your, as your pastor, I have days that I struggle. I've had seasons where I have struggled. I spent three years with incredible pain in my chest, basically handicapped in a chair. I could work on the computer. And doctors couldn't fix me. They, they, they couldn't find the problem. They couldn't find where the pain came. And that was a hard, dark three years. It, it happens, I understand. But how do we continue our love in Christ, even through difficult things, just like in your marriage? How do you continue to love your spouse when trials and pressures and, and difficult things come, and that, that love that initially that you had, that moment when you were asked about life's ultimate questions? How do you continue that day by day? That's really kind of the topic that Paul is talking about here is how we can continue, or how can, as he says, how can we walk in Christ? How can we go on with Christ day by day, moment by moment, year after year, continuing to mature and to grow in our faith and our love, just like hopefully your marriage over the years has continued to grow 
in love. And, you know, I, I love Krista so much more now than I did back then. We know each other more. We have a family. Our pressures are so much higher now and the stresses and the changes, but I have this long, ongoing relationship. How do we, how do we look at that with our relationship in Christ? How can we continue to, to grow in and to walk in Christ? If you would, look at it. Colossians chapter 2, and we're just going to look at two passages here today. I, I will tell you, if you want to do some extra study, this, this whole section here in chapter 2 is, is on this subject. It would probably be a good review for you to go back and to reread chapter 1 and in through chapter 2 as, as Paul makes these arguments and encourages the believers there to remain faithful in Jesus and to continue to grow in Him. But if you look specifically this morning at Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, This is God's Word. It says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Would you pray with me? Father, Would you this morning show us that which we do not know? Would you give us that which we do not have? Would you make us that which we are not? We come to your word and we ask, Father, that through your spirit you would work in transforming us, in encouraging us to trust in Christ and to daily grow in him. Father, be with us now. By your Spirit, teach us and guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, in the context, this idea of receiving Christ that we're looking at and and continuing in Him, this isn't necessarily Paul in Romans talking about doctrine of justification or atonement. This is is, is a... uh, an appeal against these that are coming into the church and are uh, philosophizing. They are, they are teaching new things. They are showing hidden knowledge. We, again, we don't know exactly what the, 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 Colossian, the heretics at the Colossian church were teaching, but we know that it was convincing. It was convincing humanistic philosophies that were minimizing Jesus they were minimizing who he was, his role, and they were, they were adding new burdens onto the believers that if you're a real Christian, then you will do this. We see that some of this is happening. We don't know exactly what. I'm kind of glad that it doesn't say exactly what because it allows us in our own day when we're confronted and we see false teachers and we see false doctrines and we see false teachings that tell us if you want to be a real Christian do this, or when they begin to argue and and minimize Jesus, then we don't have to just say, well, in Colossae it was this, so that's that's what the bad news is. This might be, we can say anything that minimizes Christ is dangerous. Anything that that tells us that that to be a real Christian, that, that God expects more from us than what He's commanded in His Scripture that's too much. And so, 
Again, as we come to this passage, that's the background in which he's saying. He's saying, he's saying be careful of these teachers that are minimizing Christ. Be careful of them that are, that are giving you man-made rules and traditions. Chapter 1, again, Paul talks about Jesus as being supreme and sufficient over all things. It's one of the, the high marks of Christology, of, of the doctrine of Christ and all the Bible and who He is. And it's a passage that you just read and you go, hallelujah, right? Like, Jesus is supreme. He is preeminent over all things. That's my Jesus. I, I love that passage. It gets you fired up just reading that one if you know Him and you love Him. But again, the false teachers were coming in, and they weren't coming in and saying, Jesus isn't true, Jesus isn't real. They were adding and philosophizing. Look at, look at, uh, at verse 8. See that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. See, this is the way that they were teaching. It was sneaky. Right? Satan doesn't come and just give you an outright lie to choose between comes and it gives you a half truth that leads to a, a, a quarter truth that leads to no truth. That's how it works, right? So we have to be on guard. So uh, Paul talks here about how it is that we can continue and walk in Christ, how it is that we can walk in Christ, how we can day by day continue to grow in his love and his grace, to be protected from the winds of doctrine that might come to toss us to and fro, to protect us against false teachers that might come with very clever philosophies and strategies so that we may remain grounded and obedient and fruitful in Jesus. And I think that's what we all would say we want to do. We want to endure and to glorify God and not to be hindered in our Christian walk. Amen? So here's some ways in which we can look at this text and realize this. The first point, the first thing that I want you to see, if we want to walk in Christ, we have to remember that, remember that Christ Jesus is Lord, the one who we received. We have to go back and we have to remember who Jesus is. And, and let me tell you, in verse 1, it says here, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Now, what you might not realize just at the peripheral reading of this text, but this is a very unique order to refer to Jesus. Christ Jesus, the Lord. Paul does something here that he doesn't do anywhere else in the New Testament. In that, I think he's trying to make a point by highlighting three different aspects of who Jesus is. He is the Christ... He is Jesus. He is the Lord. Are you with me? And so let's think about these. The first thing is we need to remember who it is that we worship, who it is that our faith is built upon. And the first aspect of that is that he is the Christ. Now, Christ is, a, is an Old Testament foreshadowing of the Messiah, of the one who will come. It, it basically means God's anointed and there's a lot of Old Testament prophecy about this anointed one that's going to come and, and what he's going to be. And, and there was an expectation and an anticipation of the Christ. And we know through reading the Gospels that Jesus is the Christ. He is that anointed one. He is the one that they were waiting on. He is our hope. He is our redemption. He is Jesus' anointed. 
A brief summary throughout all the things that are written about Christ is is often shown that Jesus fulfills the role of three offices throughout the Old Testament. That that Jesus is is, um, prophet, king, and priest, right? Have we heard of this before? Uh, again, there's a, there's a whole lot about this, but let me just touch on this as we think about the Christ, the one that's talked about in the Old Testament. First of all, he will be God's anointed king. That was one of the greatest anticipations about the Messiah, about the Christ who would come, is that he would be the king and he would rule his people and that he would give them freedom from all of their oppressors. In fact, This is the big beef between Rome and Jesus. Because the people were calling him what? The king of the Jews. Rome says, you can't have a king. When they hung him on the cross, it was mockery. And they said, here is the king of the Jews. But, oh, Jesus is the king. He is appointed to reign over all the universe. Go back to Colossians 1 and you can see all that God has appointed to him and given to him and that he rightfully rules as the Christ, as the Messiah. He is king. He is our king. We belong to a king and a kingdom if we know Jesus as our Savior. Amen? above anything on this world that might hold our allegiance, above anything on this world that we might be committed to. It's okay to be a citizen of the United States, but if you're a a child of God, if you belong to the kingdom of God, that is your highest calling. That is your highest affirmation. That is your home. Amen? We belong to a king and to a kingdom because King Jesus reigns. He's the Messiah. He is the Christ. Another aspect in the Old Testament that we read about Jesus is that he was a prophet. He was a prophet. So throughout the Old Testament, God spoke to his people primarily through these men who he called and he empowered and he he gifted in a way that they spoke for God, that they could say, thus saith the Lord. And when they say that, you pay attention because the Lord is speaking through them, right? That's the the affirmation that we have of the Bible, that the authority that they had as God carried them through the Spirit was if God was sitting right next to you and He was saying that. Jesus came and He served as a prophet also. In many ways, symbolically, not only did he represent the prophets the way that Israel rejected the prophets and the the prophets were often even killed by their own people, so Jesus was despised and rejected by his own, but more so in the way that Jesus talked. Jesus is able to come and he is able to give a new law. He is the new lawgiver because he is the prophet of God. Jesus is able to interpret the law of God perfectly. So Jesus can say, as he does multiple times on the Sermon on the Mount, you say... But I say unto you, every word that Jesus read, that Jesus said, is the law of God. So much as the prophets in the Old Testament that say, thus saith the Lord. Moreover than that, Jesus empowers the the, the apostles to write the word of God so that as they are writing under his authority, what we read in the New Testament, not just some Christians have uh, uh, red letter syndrome, right? We all have the, the red letter Bibles, okay? And, and the red letters are what? Those are where Jesus spoke. Those are 
direct quotations of Jesus. And so some, Bible, some, some Christians, and maybe sometimes you do this, they'll argue and say, but Jesus said. You'll be talking about something that Paul writes about. You say, but Jesus said, as though Jesus' authority is greater than Paul's. And I understand what you're saying. Like, like, we better not argue with what Jesus says, but we also better realize that Paul is writing under the authority of Jesus, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so that it is the word of God. And it's because Jesus is the prophet. He is the new prophet. He is the new lawgiver. He is the Christ. And the third thing that we see about this aspect that he is the Christ is that he is a priest. He is a priest. In the Old Testament, a major part of the worship of God revolved around interacting with the priests, interacting with the temple, with the, the sacrificial system. The people of the Old Testament understood sin. They walked around with, they walked around with, with, with cattle, taking them to the altar. They understood sin. They're walking around saying, here's my sin, right? You would take your sacrifice to the priest, and the priest would sacrifice on your behalf before God. Jesus comes as a priest, but his priesthood and his ministry for us is not that we bring the sacrifice, but he sacrificed himself. Once for all, the sufficiency and the value of Jesus Christ on our behalf ended the the ongoing sacrifice of sin so that it's once for all. If you believe and you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then what you believe and what you say is, I am a sinner. Jesus has saved me. What He did for me, that one moment on the cross, is sufficient for my past, present, and future sins because I am His and He is my King. He is our priest as well. All of this is contained. It's a loaded word to say Jesus Christ. It's a loaded word when you read throughout the old or read throughout the Gospels and they call him the Christ. Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that's going to come? Because in that word, in that mentality, in that thought was all of this and more. Have you received the Christ? Have you received him as Jesus? Christ, Jesus, the Lord is this word order that he uses. Jesus is the human name of Christ. It's the name given to him. In fact, it was the name not that Mary and Joseph picked, but an angel said, you will call his name Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, you shall call his name Jesus, for he is the one who will save the people from his sins. Now, Jesus is the Greek name of the Hebrew name Joshua. Do you know that? Joshua means Yahweh saves. That's the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus, when you say Jesus, you're saying God saves. That's what his name literally means. And we know that Jesus said this about himself. He says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We often toss around this word salvation. But to stop and to think about the importance that salvation, being saved from your sins, comes only through the name of Jesus It only comes through the person and the work of the man who came and lived and died on your behalf, who rose again. 
Have you received Jesus? Have you received this salvation? The third thing that it says, the third thing that we can understand about this particular order that Paul writes that they need to receive is that they need to receive him not only as Messiah, not only as the Christ, not only as Savior by his human name Jesus, but as the Lord. But as the Lord. Again, this is a very loaded term. We don't, we don't live in a culture where we call anyone Lord. Have you called anyone Lord this week? Other than, than Jesus, right? Like, like, you don't go to your boss and say, my Lord, what, what's my assignment today? Now, uh, uh, yeah, we won't go there. Uh, in the New Testament, it says, Sarah called Abraham Lord, but I'm not, I'm not even going to bring that one up past that. Okay, we don't use this language that we don't understand. When we say Lord, it's not, it's, it's not the idea of somebody who's just kind of in authority over me. It's somebody who owns me. The use of the the name Lord in the Old Testament was to uh, to refer to God himself, Adonai. It was one of the most common names of God. The Hebrew people refused to speak the Tetrachamagran, Yahweh. They, they refused to, to speak the covenant name of God. So they would substitute it with Adonai, with Lord. And so by identifying that Jesus is Christ Jesus the Lord, in one sense, Paul is reminding them Jesus Christ is God. He's not just a man. He is God in the flesh, the Son of Man. He's also referencing in this our position before Him. You see, there's this concept of Christianity that we often uh, try to have and, and we try to uh, live out and we try to apply to others as we rationalize with, is this person saved or is this person not saved? And, and so we get this, this threshold Christianity where we say, if you do just enough to get over the threshold then you're in and you're good. And we try to comfort ourselves in this sometimes when we see that somebody went over the threshold, whatever we established that threshold as. They prayed a prayer. They shook the preacher's hand. They bowed down. They were baptized. We create a threshold, and then they never step beyond the threshold. And sometimes they even get articulated to they've received Jesus as their Savior, but not yet as their Lord. Friends, it's impossible to receive Jesus as your Savior and not your Lord. And I understand the tensions. I understand you want to look at, and it's, it's kind of like the parable of the seeds, right? Uh, and the different seeds fall in the different soil. And, and we want to look and we want to make the threshold. Which soil was just enough for him to be saved? The point of that parable is that the one that is saved is the one who the seed has gone down, it has come up, and it's producing fruit. You have no question it's the good seed, the good soil. Is Jesus your Lord? You might say, yeah, I, I, I believe he's the Christ. I believe, you know, I, I, I can see how he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. I can see how he's a Savior. But let me tell you, I'm not really convinced that you believe those things until I see you living for Him as your Lord. 
And that's the way it's supposed to be, right? Amen. That's what Christianity is supposed to look at. Jesus says, if you're my follower, pick up your cross daily, deny yourself, and follow me. Oh, that's a hard thing to preach. If you're going to be my follower, leave your sinfulness and follow me. If you're going to be my follower, make the hard decisions in life of things that you know that are wrong, of decisions that you've made that are wrong, of perpetual sin in your life, and leave it behind and take steps and follow me. Is he your Lord? Are we going to be perfect? No. But do you care? Are you trying to follow him as your Lord? Paul reminds them, if you're going to walk with Christ... If you're going to have a healthy walk with Christ, not fall for the temptation of Satan, not fall for the false teaching of those who, who are, are under Satan's uh, realm that are trying to pull you away from Christ and your life with Him, then remember, you received Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one of God the fulfillment of prophet, priest, and king throughout the Old Testament. You received him as Jesus. Yahweh saves. Uh, Lord, the, Adonai, the, the, he is the Savior of men. He is, he is God in flesh that came to save us. And remember, you received him as your Lord, that he is God, and that you are committed to follow him as your king. That's, that's the first things that, that he said here. Have you received him? Have you received him? That's what he says, that you receive him. Uh, not that you uh, kind of agree with it. Not that you think that, that it's a good moral way to live. But have you received this? Because receiving Jesus as your king is different than saying Jesus is a savior. Jesus is a good moral teacher. Jesus is good for society. Jesus is something that people believe in and love and are very dedicated to. These are all different opinions and things that people would say about Jesus, but the Bible says here, what, what, what Paul says is if you're a Christian, if you're going to endure, if you're a faithful one, you have received him. You have accepted him and you have accepted these truths and you are living them out. Saving faith is more than just intellectual assent. It's more than, than just understanding and knowing the facts about the Bible. Saving, true saving faith is evident not only in, in what we know about Jesus, but how we live for Jesus. That's what saving faith looks like. Have you received him? The second point, now I'll do this quickly. Paul talks about what it looks like to walk in Christ. He puts the foundation on, have you received him? Have you received him as Christ, as Jesus, and as Lord, and walked in that? Are you walking in that? And the picture and the idea of, of walking is that it's not a run, it's not flying, it's, it's steady, it's slow, it's intentional, and it'll get you there, right? That's the idea of the walk, are you daily walking with the Lord? It's a concept that Paul and other Bible writers in the New Testament use often to talk about our relationship with Christ. It is a walk over day by day. Are we maturing? Are we growing? Are we walking in the Lord? Are we daily walking for Him? Verse 7, Paul uses four metaphors 
of what it's like to walk in the Lord. I, I just want to briefly hit these, these, these four metaphors that he uses about what it's like to walk in the Lord. He, look, look at the text in verse 7. It says, having been firmly rooted, now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, overflowing with gratitude. And so there's four metaphors here. First, you know, he says, he says that you're walking on a path. He says uh, you're being rooted like a tree. You're being built up like a building. You are um, established and you are overflowing like a flooding river. That, that's the, the four metaphors that, that Paul is, is talking about here, what it's like to walk and to continue and to grow in Christ. You've received him, and now you're ongoing with him. The first picture is that of a tree, a tree firmly rooted deep in the earth so it gets its nutrients, and it grows, and it continues, and it's steady, and it's firm. And we live in a place where the soil is sandy, and the winds can get strong, and what happens to trees? Friends, this illustration in your life is that if you're in Christ, He roots you, but as we continue to grow in faithfulness in Him, as we continue to walk in Him, we are rooted even deeper. Are you sinking your roots deep in understanding and loving Him and serving Him and living for Him? Or are you shallow-rooted? And the first wind of opposition, the first storm that comes against you, and God forbid if a hurricane blows in your life, will you be able to stand? Walking in Christ helps us to dig down deep, to be rooted in Him. Do you want to, I want to be rooted in Christ. I want to stand firm. I don't want when, when these false doctrines come through to be swayed and, and taken over by them. I don't want when opposition comes to deny the Lord. I don't want when a hurricane in life comes to turn my back on Him. I want to stay rooted in Christ. That's what it looks like to walk in the Lord. Daily discipline, reading your Bible, staying in prayer, serving, um, interacting with other Christians. Do you care about your spiritual life? Do you care about your spiritual growth? Is it a goal in your life that I want to become more like Jesus? And it's not just I want to read the Bible more. I want you to do that, but also I want to serve more. I want to love others more. I want to see Christ work through me more. I want to feel the presence of His Spirit more. That will root you deep. The second picture that he gives here is that we're being built up in Christ. The idea here is, is that of a building, right? And a building, a good building has a, a firm foundation to begin with, and then everything's built up upon it, and building can be a slow process. Sometimes you can look at somebody building a house or a, a building, and, and you look, and the outside edifice is there, but it's still not open. I've been going down by 95 and 50 where they're putting in the, the hotel. You know, it's there, it's big. And there's cars all over, but I don't see anybody. They're building up on the inside. There's a lot of work still to do on the inside. Sometimes that's our Christian life. You might not see that right now you're being built up, but God is overseeing this process of sanctification where things are coming into your life and it's changing you and you're dealing with sin and you're growing and hopefully day by day as you walk in Christ, you say, I am being built up to be more like Christ and to glorify Him and to love Him more. 
third picture is that we are established in the faith. The word established is often in, in, in first century the idea of a legal term. It means to confirm or to guarantee, to make irrevocable. And Paul, I think, here is speaking to the growing assurance that we gain as we grow and daily walk with Christ. I am more secure in my Christianity today and what I believe about Jesus and who He is and, 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 and really that, that I would not deny Him today more than I was 22 years ago when I became a Christian. The same way that hopefully if you're nourishing and growing daily in in your marriage and in your walk with your wife, that you would say, I love Krista now. You wouldn't say I love Krista, but I would say I love Krista now more than I did 16 years ago when we met. We're established. We're firm. That's what growing in Christ does. We want that, right? Because the winds will blow. Opposition will come. Temptations will be around. Are we growing in Christ? The fourth illustration that he gives here is that we're overflowing with gratitude. Overflowing with gratitude. The picture here is like a river overflowing its banks. There's so much water. We, were, we, we had dinner with the Merrills uh, last night, and we were looking over at Windover, and as we were driving through, we were looking at all the spots where the water came up and almost went over all the houses in Windover. They're all designed just so that they're like little islands when that water comes up like that. You know, the, the, the river comes up, it overflows the banks, and it floods everything. That's the picture of what gratitude should be in our life. And in Colossians, we've already seen, and there's all kinds of places where we could look about the idea of gratitude in your life and being thankful that God has saved you, that God has redeemed you, that God loves you, that God is working through you, that Jesus Christ, this one who is preeminent over all things, he loves you and he knows you and you can serve him. That should make Christians that are happy and joyful not this kind that grumble and complain and moan and groan. And I understand our hearts can become hardened and jaded sometimes. If you feel that, I get that way sometimes. Would you think of the excellence of Christ, the one who you received, the one you received as Christ and Jesus and Lord? Oh, what a wonderful thing it is. We have no fear. What can come against me? I am His. I am in Him. I know no matter what comes, this is the worst it's going to get. Everything ahead is going to be better. Do we love Him? Do we know Him? That should make exceeding joy in our hearts. We should be thankful. We should have hearts and lives of gratitude. Amen? Because He loves us. We are established in Him. We're built up in Him. We're walking with Him. How's your walk with Christ? Has it gotten better? Would you say like a marriage, it was euphoric and and it was, there was difficult times, but I continue day by day and, and it continues to grow. I hope that it would realize just like a marriage, it takes effort. It takes denying yourself, turning to Christ, viewing Him as the one you received as Christ and Jesus and Lord. As we close, I want to just lead you to Him. He's your Lord. I'm your pastor. I, I love you, church. I want to see you grow in the Lord, but I want to see you follow Him, not anything that I might tell you to do. So right now as we close, if there's something in your life that He is convicting you of, of 
telling you to do, maybe a decision that you need to make, maybe just saying you need, you need somebody to pray with you. I'd love to do that. Maybe, I, I don't know what it is, but would you follow him as your Lord? Would you listen to his voice and would you follow? Perhaps today you say, I am ready to receive Jesus. I'm ready to receive him as Christ. I'm ready to just receive him as Jesus, my Savior, and I'm ready to receive him as my Lord. I want to follow him. Would you make that decision today? Would you seek to follow him? And, and we would love for you to come. You can come forward and share it with me. You can come afterwards. You can write it on a card and hand it to me and, and say, I've, I've decided to follow Jesus today. And, and we want to follow up with you and, and help you to get established, to help you to get rooted, to help you with your walk in Christ. Perhaps you're saying, I know I'm a believer, but I, I, I'm struggling in my walk. I really don't know what to do. That's why a church is here. We want to help you to grow in Christ, to experience fullness and gratitude and joy. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us to this salvation. You have revealed to us who Jesus is and that you are building us up as we continue to walk in him. I pray, Lord, this morning that each of us would take seriously our walk in Christ, that we would remember the Jesus that we received, the Jesus who is Christ, the Messiah, the Jesus who is our Savior, and the Jesus who is our Lord that we wish to follow and glorify. I pray now, Father, that through your Spirit, you would convict your people. You would guide us and show us where it is in our life that we need to commit to you, walk for you. I pray, Lord, for any here that are on the fence about a major decision, perhaps about following you, Lord, would you give them the boldness through your spirit to, to say, today is the day and I'm going to receive Christ. Oh, what a joyful day for that person to fall in love with you. We thank you, Father, for your love and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.